You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. So how's everybody doing? We are so glad that you're here. I got to tell you, I, I'm typically excited to be here. I, I'm like extra excited to be here today. I don't know why, I just, I am. And uh, I, so here's the thing, is that I've been working on a PhD for a little bit now. And um, this is pretty much all-consuming. If I'm not here or with my family, that's what I'm doing. So if you ever want to pray for me, just be like, I know what Pastor Bob's doing, I'm sure. It's 4 a.m., you know what I'm doing. I'm working on my PhD. Anyway, so I don't know anything that's going on. And uh, so I got here to church this morning, and they're like, it's October 1st. And I thought, it's October? Uh, that was my first thought. And then the second one is that they said, oh, it's Pastor Appreciation Month. And I thought, we, people still do that? And, uh, and so anyway, but the, the Calvary staff got me. I collect these little bobblehead Funko things, and they made me one of me. And um, you see the picture. It's, um, I got to tell you, the only thing I dislike is that he's better looking than I am. And, uh, and, and he's holding the Bible and holding a Fender Strat, my guitar of choice. And uh, I thought it was the coolest thing. Anyway, we're going to be selling them up in the cafe. No, I'm just kidding. That would be so weird. The pastor sells little statues of himself that you can take home. That is so bizarre. We, we don't, yeah, that's more like Middle Ages, uh, but we don't do that. So, uh, but anyway, it is, <laughs> it's so, it's, uh, this has nothing to do with my message. I just want to share it with you. And I hope that's okay. But, um, <clears throat> oh yeah, thanks. Now, um, I, I, I guess I'm excited because I never get to tell this story because I have this rule that I, um, if you've ever heard me tell a story more than once, there's always at least a year in between. I give, it's a year, it's a year rule. So um, I, have to, I have to let it lie. So this story, um, I've, I told four years ago, I told two years ago, and I'm going to tell it today. So um, it'll, you probably, if, if, you, if you miss it today, It'll probably be 2025 before I tell it again. But I like telling this because this, this was so expensive. Every time I tell it, I feel like I'm getting my money's worth. So, but before I ask, let me say this. You know how, I don't know if you have this. I call them vacation rules. And that is, and maybe you have that. When you're on vacation, you just operate at a totally different speed. You do things different than kind of your normal every day. So, you know, you're on vacation, um, you know, you stay up late you sleep in, you eat junk food. And some of you are like, no, those are pretty much my normal rules. Um, but, <laughs> but most of us, we kind of go, uh, you know, we, we kind of let loose a little bit when we go on vacation. But um, at our house, turning 10 is a big deal. So when my son Xander turned 10, we got him tickets uh, to see uh, Dude Perfect live on tour. Now, if you're not familiar with who those guys are, they're like this, uh, they're a YouTube channel. And uh, I know. Thank you. I appreciate that <laughs> filling me in. And, um, but they're, you know, they're, they're all Christians and they're, you know, they do trick shots and sports and comedy and all that. My son was just was so into them, still into them, but was so into them. And so they were doing a tour where they were going to do all this stuff live in an arena. And so they weren't playing in Florida. They were playing in 
Atlanta, we have some friends in Atlanta, and so we coordinated with them. They were going to take their sons, and Xander and I were going to fly up, and then we were going to go. So it was great. So we got tickets, and then I bought him a meet and greet so he could meet all the guys. And I just made this decision the morning that we left for the airport. I just said that it was going to be the most epic weekend ever, and I was not going to refuse any request that he made me. As long as it wasn't like, hey, can I fly the plane? As long as it wasn't that, we were going to say yes. And so we get to the airport, and he's like, hey, can we have a snack before the flight? Of course we can. Hey, when, we're, when we get to Atlanta, could we eat at that restaurant that we ate last time we were in Atlanta? Of course we can. And so we got to the rental car place, and he's like, man, that would be a cool car to drive. The same car we were going to drive, but in a different color. I'm like, you know what? We'll take that one. And so, um, so anyway, my kids... They can only drink soda on the weekends, but when it's your 10th birthday, you drink as much soda as you want. And so, um, he, the, you know, the, the restaurant he wanted to go to was this Mexican restaurant, and um, he's like, can we eat this Mexican restaurant every meal? <laughs> you are your mother's son. And uh, I'm like, yes, we can. And we ate just about every meal at that Mexican restaurant, and we had ice cream at 10 p.m. and watched... Dude, perfect videos in the hotel room while we're eating popcorn and Oreos. And, um, and so we go to the Dude Perfect show, and uh, he's at the booth that, where they're selling all the hats and shirts and stuff. And he's like, man, Dad, I have enough for a shirt, not a hoodie. And I'm like, Xander, put your money away. Just get what you want. And so we got him a hoodie and a shirt and a hat and, uh, for his birthday. And then, um, and then he met the guys, and here's a picture of Xander with the guys. And um, so he was so excited. And the, my favorite part, was the next morning when I, I had woken up before him and I was checking Instagram. I followed them on Instagram and I saw Xander on their Instagram and he woke up and I'm like, hey, buddy, let me show you something. And uh, I, he sees this and he's like, dad, am I famous now? And he's like, a million people just saw me on their Instagram. And I'm like, well, that's probably what they were focusing on uh, was, was that. And so... Anyway, so we go to the show, and, and, and this was like, we were sitting right up to, we were like second or third row, and then they, they threw some t-shirts out. He caught a t-shirt. And I, this was one of those weekends where everything that could go right went right. And, um, and we're leaving, and, and uh, after this whole weekend, right, Sunday night, that was when the show was, and he just says, Dad, this was the best day of my life. And um, man, I was so moved by that, and I started crying in the middle of this arena, like with 10,000 people. I'm like, me too, buddy, me too, you know? And <laughs> so we fly home the next day. Uh, we fly home on Monday. And then on Tuesday morning, uh, now it's summer. So he wakes up and then he, uh, he goes to the fridge. And this is like, I don't know, before nine. And he just goes into the fridge and he grabs a root beer and he's right about to pop it. And I'm like, hey, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm thirsty. And I'm like, uh-huh. And I'm like, dude, it's not even nine o'clock. And he's like, yeah, but it's just, and I'm like, no, we don't, we don't, we don't do root beer at nine in the morning when you're not on vacation. And he didn't really, like, he didn't really, like, oh, vacation rules don't last forever. Because if vacation rules did last forever, you'd be broke, unemployed, and with type two diabetes. <laughs> and so anyway, so now, here's the thing, and this is the point that I want to make, that, that I want us to think about in our time together, is that rules change. Is that some rules apply on vacation, 
And other times, different rules apply. Even within the same family, coming from the same parents, things change. And it's especially true when it comes to the Bible, where people who are critical of the Bible, you'll see them pull some random verse out of the Old Testament, then they'll grab a principle out of the New Testament, and they'll be like, see how these are totally incompatible? How can you trust this contradictory book? And the problem is, it's such a binary way of looking at the Bible, when if we would just recognize that, listen, if we are much more nuanced than that, then how could the Bible be not as, as nuanced as we are? And so what I want to spend some time looking at today is how God is going to change some perceived rules for his followers. Now, if you've ever read through the Old Testament and you've read like the dietary laws and you've thought, well, how come we don't have to follow those laws? It's in the Bible. Why don't we have to follow it? Then you're in the right place. We're going to talk about that. If you've ever read just different laws, like how about the law about you can't, uh, people who are, uh, for Israel, they couldn't wear clothing that had two different types of fabric. Uh, you're in the right place. And if you're wondering, well, why is that the case? We're going to talk about how God deals with his people in different ways at different times, and yet is totally consistent with his character and nature. And this is really important. It doesn't change the truth of his word. What it does do is help us understand that God is dealing with us differently for several different reasons. So if you're a Bible student, you're going to love this message. If you want to be a Bible student, you're going to really enjoy this message. So we're going to start in Acts chapter 10, but let me give you a little bit of background if I can. If you remember, you've been with us the last couple of Sundays. You know that two Sundays ago, we talked about the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. And then with the story started following Saul a little bit, how he went from his conversion in Damascus, he went to the desert, he came back, went to Jerusalem, some trouble started, and then he was sent back to his home in Tarsus. And then the story shifts back to Peter. And then Peter goes to this city called Lydda. And in Lydda, there's a guy named Aeneas, and he heals Aeneas. And then from there, there's uh, some believers in the city of Joppa. And Joppa, there's a woman named Tabitha that dies, and they send for Peter. And they're like, Peter, this woman named uh, Tabitha died. Could you please come and see her? And he sees her, and she's healed. And lots of people come to know the Lord. And so Peter is staying now in Joppa. And that's where the story for us picks up in chapter 10 in verse 1. It says, there was a certain man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all of his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and alms have come up as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea, and he will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who had waited on him continually. And so when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. And if you pause there and give me your attention, there's three things we're going to look at about people that God uses. And the first is this, if you're a note taker, and that is that God is seeking total devotion. Now, there's a couple things that I want you to note, and that is that we are about eight years after the events of chapter two. That is when the church was born, the Holy Spirit fell, Peter gives that incredible sermon, and 3,000 people are saved. From chapter two to about now, about eight years have passed. 
And this is important to note because sometimes we read the Bible and we think this everything is happening in rapid succession. So it's like, well, chapter two happened on Tuesday. Chapter three was on Thursday. Chapter four must have been after the long weekend. And we just think it's all like that. I remember when I first started reading the Bible, I read the book of Genesis. And it's like, and then in chapter 12, God speaks to Abraham. And then chapter 13, God speaks to Abraham. And chapter 14, God speaks to Abraham. It's like, man, this, God is talking to Abraham like every other day. And you don't realize until you do some research that like years, sometimes decades are in between each of these chapters. And then you start thinking, man, if God's not talking to me every day, I mean, I have, I'm doing something wrong, right? I haven't raised anyone from the dead this week. All I did was go to work and take my kids to karate. That's it. And, uh, and, and listen, they weren't raising people from the dead every week either. There's time in between. And the reason that there's time in between is that God is giving us time for obedience, God is telling us to do things and he's giving us opportunity to be faithful and then do the things that he's calling us to do. So let's talk about Cornelius. Cornelius is a soldier in what is called the Italian regiment or cohort. Now, uh, I want to, if we can, give you kind of an idea of what the Roman military looked like. So if you're one of these guys that thinks about the Roman Empire all the time, this will give you more, more things to think about. All right? So the Roman military in the first century... This is what was called the high empire era of uh, the Roman Empire. Now, Roman, Rome's military consisted of 28 legions. Le a legion consisted of 5,500 soldiers. Every legion had 10 cohorts. That is, so 5,500 soldiers and then 10 groups, 10 cohorts under that. So about 550 uh, soldiers in each cohort. Each cohort had six centurions. So a centurion was a guy who was in charge of about 80 to 100 soldiers within each cohort. That's what Cornelius was. He was part of the Italian cohort, which from what we read historically, the Italian cohort were primarily archers in the Roman military. Now Luke tells us that, that he was from Caesarea, and that's not going to shock anybody because Rome's headquarters in Israel was in Caesarea. The reason is that Caesarea was on the coast. It was a port city. It's a place where they could bring more troops, more supplies, whatever they needed, they could bring it from uh, the capital. So saying, hey, there was this guy, this, this soldier in Caesarea. I mean, that's all there was in Caesarea was soldiers. It's like saying there was this crooked politician in Washington. Hey, that's all there is. And so anyway, now, what, what's important is when we get to verse 2 that says that he was a devout man who feared God. Now, this is an actual title. A God-fearer was a title that was given to Gentiles who believed in the God of Israel. They participated in worship services, and they kept parts of the law. But now, typically for women, it was easier to convert to Judaism than it was for men because men, to become full proselytes into Judaism uh, required the right of circumcision. And so I'm sure that added some weird conversations between husbands and wives where she's like, I want to, I want to go to worship here. And are you sure you want to go to worship here? This is, this is really critical for me if, just to make sure. I don't want you to, I don't want to go here and then you change your mind because there is like a serious situation that has to happen. And then there's the no bacon thing. We haven't even talked about that. And then, so anyway, so Cornelius is praying and an angel tells him, that there's a guy named Simon, whose name is, uh, surname is Peter, in Joppa. Send some people to Joppa to get him and do whatever he says. Now, here's what's important about this, this scene with Cornelius. I think it's so powerful. 
God is speaking to Cornelius as he takes time to seek God. You see, Cornelius is, is praying at the hour of prayer. It's the ninth hour. It's 3 p.m. That was an hour of prayer for the Jews. You, we saw that happen in chapter 3 when Peter and John go up to the temple to pray at the hour of prayer, 3 p.m. Now, Cornelius is a believer in the God of Israel, and it shows in his actions. And I believe that this is really the key to experiencing the blessing of God in your life. It's not just that we hear what God wants us to do, but we actually start doing what God wants us to do. In John chapter 13, Jesus tells his disciples, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Not if you know these things, you're blessed. No, no, no. Now that you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. And sometimes we're under the impression of, well, once I've heard it, now I can be blessed. No, no, no. God wants you to hear it, and then God wants you to implement it, do it, be obedient, and be faithful in your life. And I had this experience when my daughter Mia was younger. She was about four at the time. And she went through this phase where um, she would say, I love you all the time, which most of the time was great. Uh, I, one morning I wake up, you know, I wake her up and I walk into a room. Good morning, mom. I was like, good morning, dad. I love you. Oh, I love you too. And uh, it was great. And then there were other moments where it didn't make any sense at all. Where I'd walk in and say, Mia, can you um, clean up your room? I'll be there in a minute to help you. And then I'd come back and she'd be playing with her toys. And I'm like, Mama, I asked you to clean up your toys, not play with them. And then she'd say, but Dad, I love you. <laughs> okay. And, and so, um, and then we were at the dinner table one night and she's not eating. I'm like, Mia, why aren't you eating? You like this. And she's like, but Dad, I love you. I'm like, oh, oh, okay, and I'm like, okay, this is going to be a moment where I'm going to teach her a biblical truth. And I said, Mia, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. You know what that means? That if we love God, we do what he says. That's how we show that we love him. And one of the ways that you show me that you love me is by listening to the words that I'm sharing with you. Do you understand? Yes, dad. But can, can I say one thing? Of course. But dad, I love you. And I, I don't think you understand anything I've said to you. And so, but listen, God is about to change Cornelius' life, and he's about to show everyone that the rules are different than what people had perceived. And that is that everyone who isn't Jewish, everyone who isn't Jewish is just as eligible to be transformed by Jesus as those who are. And that's what we see in verse 9. It says this, The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near to the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour, that's noon, and then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven open and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals on the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, birds of the air. And a voice came to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But he said, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again a second time, what God has cleansed you must not call common. And this was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. Now, while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, two men who had been sent from Cornelius made, had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And when they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there, and while Peter thought about the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down with them, doubting nothing, for I have seen them, for I've sent them. 
And then Peter went down to the men who had been sent from Cornelius and said, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged them. And on the next day, Peter went away with them and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And if you pause there and give me your attention, second thing I want you to note, not only is God seeking total devotion, but God is seeking radical trust. I want you to follow the chronology here. The angel speaks to Cornelius at 3 p.m. and says, go get Peter. He sends three guys to go get Peter. Peter still has no idea what's happening. The following day at noon, Peter gets this vision, and it's a tough one for him to accept because, and this is why he pushes back and says, Lord, I've never eaten anything that was against anything unclean or common. That is against the dietary laws. He's never done anything like that. Now, let me explain this. In Leviticus chapter 11 is where we find all of the Hebrew dietary laws. That is everything that is okay to eat or everything that is not okay or that is kosher or not kosher. And the word kosher simply is a Hebrew word that simply means uh, fit. That is fit to be eaten or not fit to be eaten. And, uh, and so Peter sees a vision of this sheet that's lowering with all kinds of animals on it. And a voice says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says no, because he, and, and it's, because he realizes that He's like, there, there are animals that are kosher and not kosher, and I've never eaten anything that's not kosher, which is what he's saying. And then the Lord says, don't call common or impure what God has cleansed. Now, this is very Jewish language, and it, it, it can be, uh, we can get confused if we aren't careful. Now, I have heard so many people teach this passage incorrectly because they don't listen to what Peter is saying. You know, sometimes there are passages that are difficult to interpret. It's not difficult to interpret a passage when Peter is the one who's going to tell you five verses from now what the passage means. And so I've heard so many messages about how this is uh, Jesus doing away with the dietary laws. That's not what this is about. Um, this, is, this passage is about Gentiles, not about what you're going to eat for lunch. In fact, that's why Peter doesn't get up from the vision and order a shrimp scampi. Instead, he goes, he gets up from the vision and preaches the gospel to the Gentiles. Now, let me explain. Why do I say that? Because just a few verses later, remember he says, God says to Peter, don't call uncommon or common or unclean what I have cleansed. Okay? That's the phrase that we got to remember. In verse 27, we're going to read it in a minute. It says, while talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. And he said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. The vision is about God loving people who were outside of the covenant with Israel. It's not about eating pork chops, all right? But this does beg the question about Old Testament laws and why we keep some of them and not others. So let's talk about that for a minute. So let's talk about the Old Testament laws. In fact, let's back up a little bit and talk about the Old Testament. What does that phrase even mean, Old Testament? Because the Old Testament isn't old because it came first. It's not like when I was in getting my undergrad a million years ago, I went to work for this company that manufactured home accessories, and I, I got hired at the company, and I was like the low man on the totem pole, but the CEO's name was Bob. And so sometimes people would say, you need to talk to Bob, and they weren't really sure if they meant to talk to me 
or talk to the CEO of the company. And so there's like 15 of us in the office. And so they started calling me Young Bob because I was about 22 at the time. Um, insert Taylor Swift reference there. Um, and so some of you have no idea what that means, but you listen to it later. Tell Siri to play you the song. And so anyway, but I, I'm, I'm like 22 at the time and, and they started calling me Young Bob, which meant that the CEO was Old Bob. And he did not like that very much. And I, and I understand why. Um, I, I have committed myself that I won't hire anyone on the Calvary staff whose name is Robert um, because I don't want to be old Bob. And I, I'm turning 50 in three weeks. And so I'm not ready. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, you guys are way more excited about it than I am. So I can assure you I'm, I'm struggling. And so anyway, but now the reason why it's called old um, isn't because it came first. It's called the Old Testament, or literally we'd say the Old Covenant. That's what this, this collection of books is. It's the Old Covenant. It is the covenant that God made with Israel. And so, but within the Old Covenant, there is a promise that God made to the people through the prophet Jeremiah that he would make a new covenant with the people of Israel. I put it in your notes in Jeremiah 31. It says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. I will not be it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Now, when Jesus celebrates the Passover with his disciples and he gives them, he breaks the bread and then gives them the cup and he says, this is the new covenant in my blood. He didn't just make that up on the spot. He is referring back to the prophecy of Jeremiah saying that there was gonna come a time where God would make a new covenant. So when we talk about the New Testament, the New Testament is the new covenant. The Old Testament is the old covenant. And so, and the old covenant was different. The old covenant was between God and Israel. And they were blessed if they kept it and they were cursed if they broke it. The new covenant is not between God and us. The new covenant is between God the Father and God the Son. And you and I are simply the beneficiaries of that covenant between them. Why? Because Jesus fulfilled the requirements of the law of the covenant on our behalf. So our relationship to the old covenant or the Old Testament books when we look at the Old Testament laws, there's 613 laws in uh, the Old Testament, and there's, but there's three types of laws, and that's what I want to look at. So if you're a note taker, uh, let me give you this. If you're not a note taker, today might be a good day to start. Uh, but if you're a note taker, there's three types of laws. The first is what are called ceremonial laws. These are laws that relate to Israel's worship. It involves the feasts, it involves the sacrifices, it involves the dietary laws and laws about not blending different types of clothing together and things like that. By the way, so these are all things that refer to worship, sacrifices, the tabernacle, later the temple, all of that that, that go and, and everything associated with that. By the way, what is uh, practiced today is not what's considered what is called Levitical Judaism. That is, 
Judaism that, ref, that is connected to the priests and sacrifices because there is no temple and there are no sacrifices. What is practiced today is what's called rabbinic Judaism, and that is what the teachings of the rabbis say to do in light of the fact that there is no uh, temple or sacrifices. So that's why it's usually a lot of fasting uh, because there is no because there is no temple. But all of those laws are ceremonial and part of worship. The second type of law is what are called civil laws. The civil laws are laws that governed the nation of Israel. Remember, when God took the people out of the land of Egypt, he was creating a nation. And there were ways that um, things had to be done. And so leaving the edge of your land unharvested was God's way of creating a feeding program for the, for the poor. This was God's situation. This, is, this was welfare. And so you would go through your land one time, and then the rest was available for people who were in need. So, but we are not living in a theocracy. And so how many times we harvest our land isn't binding. That was specifically for Israel at that time. And then thirdly, there are what are called moral laws. The moral laws of the old covenant, not stealing or murdering, being faithful to your spouse, this is still binding on all of humanity. Christians need to look at the Old Testament the same way that the New Testament looks at the Old Testament. Jesus himself said, I did not come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. That's why when teachers say Jesus was setting aside the Old Testament law and saying, hey, Peter, eat pork chops or bacon or whatever you want. That's not what was happening. What he was saying was he was talking about Gentiles, but the reason why we have some freedoms is one, because of what's going to happen in Acts chapter 15, and we'll get to that in a few weeks. But also that Jesus himself, he said in, in Matthew 5, 17, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. What does it mean that Jesus fulfilled the law? It means that every law pointed to him and that he completed everything that those laws point to. That our connection with God isn't based on our ability to keep the law because Jesus kept the law perfectly for us. He fulfilled the law on our behalf. And that he is the fulfillment of ev everything that the sacrifices and the feasts were pointing to. He is the fulfillment of those things. That's why we don't feel like we have to, you can celebrate those feasts if you want, but you don't have to because Jesus fulfilled them. But we still keep the moral laws because those don't go away. That's how God wants us to interact with each other, and that's how God wants us to treat each other. Now, if you are interested in this topic, this is what the entire book of Hebrews is about. And a couple of years ago, I spent about eight or nine months teaching through the book of Hebrews, so you can uh, go after all those messages. But the point is this. The law served a purpose to point us to the Messiah, Jesus. And that's why in Galatians chapter 3, Paul says, therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. You see, sometimes we look back at these laws and we're like, man, these, this is like, I mean, why do people even have to do that? Every law had meaning. And remember that God was teaching a people who had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. He was teaching them how to be free. He was teaching them how to worship. He was teaching them how to live for him and how to establish a nation that would rightly reflect who he is. And sometimes we get so far removed, we don't see the wisdom in it. And by the way, it doesn't, we don't have to be 2,000 years and half a world away. We could just be a few years away and, and miss it. In fact, in California, there's a law that's still on the books that it is illegal to eat a frog that dies during a frog jumping contest. 
still on the books to this day. And that sounds ridiculous. Until you find out that about 80 years ago when the law was enacted, there was a mining town in California that had a frog jumping jubilee. Now, why anyone would be interested in attending a frog jumping jubilee is probably a conversation for another time. But at this festival, they ate the frogs that were part of this frog jumping jubilee and they got sick. And so the state enacted this law to keep people healthy. Uh, in Alabama, this is another law that's still on the books. It is illegal to train bears to wrestle. Now you might say, why would we even need such a thing? Like common sense would tell us, don't just stay away from bears, right? That, that's a good, that's a good. Well, that's because back in the 1800s, bears wrestling men was a popular sport. See, this is why television solved a lot of problems. And uh, like this, the, all you need, like, hey, just we'll do something else. Like, hey, have you heard of the WWF? We'll watch that and not have to do the bear thing. And so, but because bears wrestling men was so, was so popular, Alabama enacted a law prohibiting the training of bears for this, not even just that it was illegal to do it, but even the training of bears so that nobody was even tempted for the sake of public safety. I'll give you one last one. This one's my favorite. In Carmel-by-the-Sea, California, it is illegal for women to wear high heels without a permit. And this is true. Now, if you're like, Carmel-by-the-Sea, why does that sound familiar? This was the town that Clint Eastwood was the mayor of. Why you want to mess with him, I have no idea. Um, and if you want to mess with him, I would just encourage you to watch the, the movie The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, Hang Em High, The Legend of Josie Wales, or The Unforgiven. And let me tell you something, it doesn't work out for anyone. Everyone who crosses Clint Eastwood dies. So why you want to mess with him, I have no idea. But here's why this law was enacted. is because in Caramel by the Sea, there is so much uneven terrain and unpaved streets that they want people who are going to wear heels to get a permit so that they will assume the risk. Because what happened before is that you'd wear heels, you'd twist your ankle, and then sue the city. So they're like, here's how we're going to solve that. You've got to pull a permit to wear heels. And now if you're, you're accepting responsibility if anything happens. And the point is this. And we've all read articles about like silly laws that are still on the books, but they were created to solve a problem. When it comes to the Old Testament laws or the Old Covenant laws, no one is looking for context. They're just like, especially people who don't believe the Bible, like, look how obsolete this is. Let me tell you something. The Jewish law was thousands of years ahead of its time. And there's certain sections of it, once again, especially the moral law, thousands of years ahead of its time that are still in practice to this day. All right, I got to get moving here. And uh, more to be said on that in the future, but... Um, so I want to get, this is a longer section, but I want us to read it in context so we can really see what's happening. Look at verse 24. It says, in the following day, they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and he had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up. I myself am also a man. And as they talked, as he talked with them, he, he went in and found many who had gathered together. And then he said to them, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company or go with one of another nation? But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked then, for what reason have you sent me? And so Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. 
and he is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. And when he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear the things commanded to you by God. Now, what's going to happen here is that Peter's going to give a sermon, and it's very different than the sermons Peter has given before. He's not going to quote Old Testament passages. He's going to reference certain Old Testament things, but he's not going to go into this. Once again, these are people that don't really know the Old Testament law, so he's just going to give some bigger concepts as he does this evangelistic message. Look at verse 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, I, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached and how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. And we are witnesses of these things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all people, but to witnesses chosen by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people, to testify that it is he who has ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive the remission of sins. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For he heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. And Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not, be uh, should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And they, then they asked him to stay a few days. And if you pause there and give me your attention, last thing I want to tell you, and that is that God is seeking courageous believers. Here's the thing we need to understand to really appreciate this passage. Everyone up until now who has come to know Jesus has either been Jewish or has been a Gentile who has converted to Judaism. Even the Samaritans were part Jewish but still kept the law. And so this is the first time that we see a Gentile who has not undergone the rite of circumcision um, that is hearing the gospel and responding. And this was somewhat scandalous and not because hard to get there. That is... If you want to believe in the Jewish Messiah, you've got to become Jewish because you've got to enter into the covenant that God make, made with Abraham to then receive the fulfillment of that promise, which is the Messiah. So it's not hard to get there. But what's amazing to me is that even as Peter is preaching, the Holy Spirit falls on everyone in Cornelius' house. And the point is what everyone thought was the rule, you've got to become Jewish first, is Jesus, uh, you know, the Lord is saying, that's not the rule. That may be what you perceive, but that's not the rule at all. Now, the question that I want us to think about, and this is kind of where we make our initial descent, but um, I want us to think about this. Why Peter? Why call Peter? Now, let me show you this. Peter is in Joppa. Now, just FYI, I got this map, but I'm the one who added the arrow. So I am here to serve all of your graphic needs. And so anyway, it only took me half an hour to make this arrow. And um, anyway, now, Joppa is on the coast. 
Caesarea is about 35 miles away, which is about a day or day and a half journey. And so, but why call Peter who's at Joppa when there was someone already equipped in Caesarea? Now, do you remember Philip from uh, Acts chapter 6 and then Acts chapter 8? He lived in Caesarea and he was an evangelist. In Acts chapter 8, if you remember, Philip was the one who was involved in that revival in Samaria. And then God calls him to go south to the road between um, Jerusalem and Gaza. And he's like, I want you to go down there. There's someone I want you to meet. And then he finds this Ethiopian eunuch, this guy who was from Ethiopia, who had converted to Judaism. And then he preaches the gospel to him. And then he's baptized there. And right after it says this in Acts 8.40. But Philip was found at Azotus, that's a different city, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Now, that's at the end of Acts chapter 8. Years go by, and we get to Acts 21. He's still there. In Acts 21, verse 8, it's in your notes. It says, on the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. So, I just, I just want to underscore this point for a second. And that is, if Cornelius is praying and he's in Caesarea, Philip is already in Caesarea. Philip is a guy, he doesn't have a problem preaching to Gentiles because he already did it. He doesn't have a problem preaching to, preaching to people who aren't believers because we're told that he's an evangelist. So if that's the case, why are you going to call Peter who's 35 miles away when Philip is probably a few blocks away? We could have been the next door neighbor for all we know. And so why is that? Why? Because Philip wasn't struggling with preaching the gospel to Gentiles and seeing them come into the kingdom. Peter, on the other hand, was struggling and he needed this lesson. You see, here's one of the things that I have found is that when we need to learn a lesson, God is always faithful to put an obstacle in my life until we learn the lesson. Let me tell you, um, if you're struggling with patience, I can assure you of something. Everything that you do will take five times as long until you learn the lesson. And maybe you know this to be the case already. And it's just like, all I got to do is go get gas and go to the bank and pick up two things at the store and come home. That's it. And if you're struggling with patience, God will make there be some cataclysmic event happen at every place, right? It's like, why is that? Why had the gas station run out of gas? And why was there no one working at the post office? And why is it the two things that I did? Why? Because God wants you to grow. That's why. Listen, if you're struggling with forgiveness, can I just tell you something? Life is going to be difficult because lots of people are going to sin against you so that you have the opportunity to forgive. And you're like, well, I don't want that. Then you better get real good at forgiving. And uh, that's the key to that. And, and listen, and you know what else happens sometimes? And I love this too. Is that sometimes God puts the test before you just so you can pass it so that you can see that you've grown. And I love when that happens. When I was about nine years old, I was uh, living in Somerville, Massachusetts, where I grew up. And um, I go into our pantry one day and I grabbed a package of Doritos. And uh, now I didn't really want to eat Doritos. I just wanted the flavor. So what I did was is that I took the Doritos out and I just licked all the cheese off the Doritos. But you know what happens when you lick all the cheese off a Dorito? It becomes a Tostito. And so I decided, I'm like, well, this is a waste. So I just put them back in the bag because I didn't know if someone else wanted a Tostito later. So anyway, so when I got done, I had all of the Tostitos in the Doritos bag. So I want you to imagine nine-year-old me, Brainiac, um, and I've got a bag full of moist wet saliva Doritos, and then I just roll them back up, 
because we didn't have chip clips back then. We had little clothespins that we used. Uh, this is like before electricity. And so then we just put the, I put the clothespin on and I put them back. And I was just living my life until about an hour later when I heard my mom scream. And, uh, and, and I, I realized like, oh, she took, a, she took a bite into the chip and she nearly threw up. That's what I found out. And I knew, I knew it was a problem when she walked into my room with the Doritos in one hand and with the belt in the other. <laughs> and when I regained consciousness, I knew never to do that again. Now, I want to fast forward 28 years, and uh, I'm about 37 or so, and I go into my pantry at home, and I grab a bag of Doritos, and I grab a chip, and I take a bite, and they are all wet. My three-year-old daughter, Mia, has licked all the cheese off the Doritos and put them back in the bag. This is why there are some things about kids that are not, uh, oh, you know, well, it's just the environment that they're in. No. There's not some things that's like, well, you know, it's just, the, it's just the nature versus, no. Some things are just baked into the DNA. And the, the Dorito licking, that was just baked into the DNA of my kids. And so anyway, and so I, 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 I bite into it. I'm like, ah, you know, and it's all nasty. <clears throat> and I put it back in the bag and, and I, I call my daughter Mia over because I knew at that point, I'm like, okay, I know how this song goes. And, uh, and, and I'm like, Mia, what happened? And she's like, well, you know, I'm like, did you lick all the cheese off and put it back in? She's like, well, yeah. I just started laughing. I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop laughing. Now here's, can I tell you this? And, and maybe, maybe you've thought about this. Maybe you haven't. Most people that I talk to have. But um, when you grow up in a home that's not ideal, one of the things that you worry about is there's someday I'm going to get married and have kids and am I going to take all that crazy and bring it into my home? I mean, am, am I really going to be different than my parents or am I just going to fall into those same bad patterns? And listen, and, 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 and I, I, had those, I had those same fears and, um, and I really believe that God was giving me a gift that day. And uh, because I saw, I, I saw, now I was on the other side of the thing that I was guilty of. And, um, and I told Mia, and I said, hey, first off, super gross. And, um, and, and we just laughed. And you know what she got? Mercy. The thing that, it, that I was hoping for myself when I was young, I was able to give, and it brought me so much joy. You see, maybe that's why God has brought some challenges into our lives. Because God does not want you or me or us to stay the same. And the only way that we grow is when we engage in the process. And listen, so what do you do if God is testing you? You pass the test. Because if you fail the test, you got to take the test again. And listen, and you want to pass the test because when you pass the test, God can bless your life, your family, your future. But sometimes we're the ones that are blocking it. I as a dad, live to bless my kids. And if you're a parent, I know it's true for you as well. And listen, if, if J what Jesus said was right, and it is, he says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your kid, how much, how much more your father in heaven? You see, we think we've kind of changed how we do chores around our house. We don't have like, you do these three things and you do these three things. That, that's not how it works anymore at home. Um, now everybody does everything. So everyone does dishes, everyone does laundry, everyone cleans, everyone vacuums. Uh, Xander and I take out the garbage. Well, Xander takes out the garbage and I supervise uh, because 
it's important to have foremen on the job too. And, um, but, and we do this because when they're grown, they, we want them to do what needs to be done. Not, well, this is my job is only these three things. No, you do what needs to be done. And so we're training them in that. So now their allowance is a flat rate. I got my kids on salary and uh, they just got to do everything. But when they were younger, um, they had specific chores they had to do. And then there were like all these bonus items that they could do. And so they got, you know, some allowance based on some of their uh, chores that needed to be done. But then there was other stuff. And then and, and my wife had set up this responsibility chart. And when they just come over and just start knocking stuff off the list, and there's some stuff, it's like, hey, that's 50 cents or that's a dollar or whatever. And, uh, and they could do all of that. And then there were moments that we would catch our kids doing something right and being loving to their brother or sister. And we would really bless that because more than just activity, we wanted to bless good behavior. And listen, at the end of the week, when we'd go to Target and go food shopping, sometimes my kids would have 10 bucks to spend. Sometimes they'd save it up and have 20 to spend or something like that. But then there'd be other weeks when they didn't do what they were supposed to and they'd have like a buck 50. And so you can't even buy a pack of gum anymore with a buck 50. And, 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 and listen, and when they were doing what was right, it was my absolute joy to bless them. And you know what was so weird? When they didn't do what's right, the person who was the most bummed out was me. Because it was my joy to bless them. And it's still true to this day. And my point is this. Listen, and I know you've heard it and it's a cliche that God loves you, but he really does. Maybe we could say it this way. That's a little less cliche. God likes you. My God likes me. I know, you know God, loves, uh, God loves everyone. That's part of his contract. But um, no, God doesn't just love you. God likes you. God thinks you're funny sometimes. God thinks I'm hilarious. Well, some of the time. Some, somebody's like, hey, throttle it back, buddy. And, uh, but listen, here's, here's what I love. I do know this, that God loves you, that he likes you, and that he wants to bless you. So learn the lesson. Walk in obedience to what God is speaking to you. And you know what happens if you do? Life will get really, really, really good. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you for that, for that incredible promise that you're with us, that you're for us, and that you want to bless us. So Lord, help us. Help us to walk in obedience, to walk in love, and so that you might do what you've promised to and fulfill your promise in us. And we pray it in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.